Welcome to the Audio Conference for Pastors. This episode is an archived broadcast with our host, Bobby Gilstrap. Bobby is a former pastor, church starter, director of missions, and now the lead missionary and executive director for the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Now, let's join Bobby and his guests for this archived edition of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Now, let me introduce you to our guest for today's conference, Pastor Johnny Hunt. Pastor Johnny Hunt became pastor of First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia in 1986. With evangelistic passion, he led that congregation to baptize over 300 persons in his first year as pastor. Since that time, their Sunday school attendance has increased 20 times. Their church membership has increased 14 times. In my personal opinion, two of the most notable accomplishments since 1987 for uh, Pastor Hunt and that church is that they've, uh, as a church, sent out over 100 missionaries and led in starting 60 new churches. Tremendous accomplishment. Dr. Hunt is a graduate of Gardner-Webb College and Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also received three honorary doctorate degrees. Pastor Johnny is married to Janet Allen Hunt of Wilmington, North Carolina, and they have two daughters and three granddaughters. Pastor Johnny, thank you for joining us, and welcome to today's audio conference for pastors. Well, thank you, Bobby. It is a joy to be with uh, all of you, and I look forward to our time together. Uh, I know we want to talk about ministry that matters. It's my passionate desire, and I'm sure all of you that have joined us, to have a life and ministry that counts, a life and ministry that makes a difference, uh, nothing I know of is more disheartening and discouraging than to think that um, we do what we do without really making a difference. And I know that God really does desire to use these of each of us to make a difference, and I want to live my life intentionally. I want to prepare sermons with intention, make visits, and um, have meetings uh, very intentionally to think that I'm making investment in life. So with that in mind, we'll um, we'll dive into the questions, uh, beginning with number seven. Yeah, I'd like question. for us to start and work backwards. Uh, those of them who've downloaded our uh, discussion guide will have that. You're going to want to flip over to page two and uh, begin with the seven questions that must be answered. Uh, and as I looked at these, uh, Pastor Johnny, we'd gone back and forth by email looking at the questions. And uh, after we started promoting them, I started thinking, you know, I kind of like to start at the bottom uh, with that uh, maintaining balance and time management. I think that's one of the huge issues for many, many pastors. So let's do Let's start uh, with question number seven uh, and just ask you to share some of the secrets to maintaining balance between family and ministry and leisure. All right. Well, I'll attempt to do that. That is one of the major challenges, but it's um, basically it's the proof of commitment, to say the least, to uh, show the priority that your family uh, is. And um, I've found that when, when my family's priority in it, it will begin to show, and it will mean a great deal to the people as they observe that uh, in, their, in our life. And I think we have to be very methodical in how that happens. For instance, uh, in my own life, Friday night is reserved for date night. So without my wife's permission, um, to do something special, like maybe a men's conference here and there, um, it affects how many weddings I'll do a year. And being multi-staffed, I realize, makes a difference there, too. But the fact that um, family is a priority, uh, there's got to be some guardrails there to keep me on that road. And so I have date night. My children are grown now, but now grandchildren are in the picture. But when my daughters were at home, they could tell you that every Saturday 
was reserved for them. Now, to be honest, they only wanted about half of it. That was all they could put up with with Dad. But to this day, now that they have their own children, they're able to uh, talk about those those times that we had together. It may sound simple, but if you're going to make your family priority, take your vacations and take your Sundays. In my early days of ministry, I really questioned whether we the church could survive without me being there on Sunday. But um, to my own amazement, they did fairly well, whether I was there or not. And so that was a priority uh, in taking those times. And then the thing is, when I am away from the office, um, be away from the office. So I try under God when I know that our family is going to be together, that I don't take my work home. And uh, I don't have a voice recorder at home. It may not sound like much, but people can call. And if I'm there with the caller ID, I can choose to take the call. Or if it's at dinner time, my wife will take it and let them know that we're having dinner or that we're involved in something and maybe even tell when I could call back. reason I don't have a voice recorder is the calls that you miss most of them will never come to you again. It was a crisis mode for them at that moment. But if they leave you a message, they all anticipate your return call. And it can finally get to the point that you um, can't be home and make that a priority if you're going to stay on the phone. Uh, the the words, you've heard it over and over again, and it's still true even at this age in my life, and that is you spell uh, priority with the four-letter word time and uh, when I give my time for it. And then in ministry... I have office hours for my staff, but it's also for me as well. And my day at the office is normally from 8 o'clock until 5.30, and uh, I'm a pretty disciplined self-starter, so I'm able to get a lot accomplished. And I work on computer, but I work mainly in my schedule with a daytimer, and so I know what I've got to do for the day, and I try to make it a priority to move along with as few of interruptions as I possibly can. And I'll talk more about the interruptions in another part of our segment. And then leisure, as a rule, I take off Friday afternoon and all day Saturday. And Friday afternoon is sort of my time. I'm not much of a golfer, but if I decide to go, I am a runner. So I use that time to do whatever I want to do on Friday afternoon before my date night on Friday night. Since I'm an early riser, I've got a good bit of leisure time before my wife joins me on Saturday morning. And um, that that becomes my time. But the main thing is I really, really do take my vacation, which now after this many years is several weeks a year, and that shows my commitment to the family. Now, Phil, that's about all I was going to say about number seven, unless you wanted me to go more. And if not, I'm ready to move to number six. Well, let, let me ask you one kind of a follow-up question, number seven, then we'll move on to number okay. six. But <clears throat> you, you've enjoyed the tremendous blessing of God uh, there at Woodstock and seeing a tremendous blessing in the church growing and a lot of things. But you've not always been in a church that was the size of which it is. Many of our uh, listeners in today's audio conference are bivocational uh, or are in smaller uh, situations where it's much more of a family situation as far as the, the congregation and the church. Uh, and many of them probably, I, I'm just guessing, but many of them probably do have to office out of the house. Uh, some of them are church planters and other kinds of things. Can you kind of give us some tips about uh, effectively managing uh, those things you've just talked about, the balance between family and ministry and leisure, when, when you are pretty much forced into to having to have some of what you do as a minister located in the back bedroom as such? Right. One of the things that we do with our staff and I do in my own life periodically is you look at your schedule because you're going to be setting it and think about how much time you have that day. And if I've got a four-hour time, 
periodically it's good to just take a sheet of paper out and take and, and monitor all that time, how much time you spent in devotion or whatever, your sermon preparation, your returning calls. Make sure you use your time wisely. A lot of times we waste time. There's an old uh, adage that time I enjoy wasting is not wasted time. There are going to be times that we all just have those kick-around days. But when I know I've got work to do, I, I try to stay real focused on it. So whether it's at home, uh, most of my churches have been small. This is the largest church I've ever pastored, and it had 260 in attendance. So I had a church with 35 that I started with, a church with 37. My third church was 90, and then this my fourth church had two, 260, so it was the largest. But in the uh, early days, I, same thing, I had to do my work at home. So I was up early, had certain hours, pretty much could tell my wife, here's where I'm going to be tied up, and I tried to uh, break it off then. And one thing I've found, uh, Bobby, is that you never are called up. It's been said that you'll have things in your outbox when God calls you home. And so you'll never get called up. You just have to learn to get it organized in the latter minutes that you've got left and then leave it. And, uh, and bottom line is that some of the stuff we're doing don't matter as much as we think it does in light of of life. That ties right in with our, our sixth question. Why don't you build on that about how a busy pastor can effectively manage his time? Any other insights? Okay. You know, one of the things we, we talk about, and we all do it, we've all heard it, and we're all challenged by it, and that is what are the priorities of our life to manage? In other words, if I'm going to effectively manage my time, I have to think about what is most important in my time. And forced to say that our relationship with Christ is most important, time will prove that as well. So if I constantly make it a matter of missing my personal devotional and quiet time of the Lord. It's hard to say that that's really important if I'm not managing it in. So I begin, my day begins about 5.45, and after I get up and shower and put the coffee on, the first thing I do is prayer and, and devotional time. And Henry Blackaby gave me a major statement, and that is learn to have an unhurried quiet time. And so it depends on where we are and our own walk with the Lord, the time we have, but basically about the first 45 minutes minimum is spent in reading God's Word, reading some devotional guides, and then a time of prayer, intercessor's prayer in the sense that I have a, a guide and journal, and then uh, prayer for the day and for my own personal life and those that are heavy on my heart. And when you talk about that, you how you're going to manage that time, and then the same thing that we've just talked about, and that is managing the time with your family. Uh, we're in a crisis mode right now. My father-in-law is uh, terminal, so my wife's had to spend a good bit of time with him, so she flies in today. And it has been a real challenge in my life to manage my time so she could be the priority when she comes in town. And to be able to pull that out of your schedule, it to me, I've found it has to be built back in somewhere else. So it's changed and altered my evenings with her not here and also my early morning times. And then the ministry is there, so it's Christ and family and then ministry. And I really believe that's a, a wonderful biblical model as well as all the preachers that have gone before us. It seems like those are the three cardinal leadership areas. And so in ministry, what I try to practice is use the daylight God gives you. And so I'm not really one for burning the midnight oil. I'm not up real late at night uh, expending uh, energy I don't have, but I am very aggressive in the daytime, the time that God gives me, and that I use my mornings for study in my office, uh, and I do my study at the church. A lot of people study at home, and I prefer to be here. And then after um, 
my time of studying, if you call my office uh, or if it's just my wife here, we always tell them, yes, pastor's in, but he's in his study today preparing God's message. 99.9% of the time the people are fine with that, to which I have told her that I'll be returning calls after a certain time. I, I do a lot with lunches. When people say, you know, I need to drop by your office and see you, I'm one of those that counseling's not one of my fortes, so I would try to turn it more into a meal time. I was taught by a senior pastor once to not waste your meal time. So if someone says, I need to see you, I try to work in a 7 o'clock breakfast. I try to meet them halfway or them come here for lunch, and then I leave my dinners open. I don't give those to the church family unless it's something my wife and I are going to do with them. And so most of my meetings are not counseling appointments in the office as much as ministering um, over a meal time together. And so um, I try to, to keep it in that order of my time with the Lord. Um, Charles Spurgeon said one time that he may be able to count on one hand where he spent an hour in prayer, but he said he could count on the same hand where he's gone an hour without praying. And I really believe that's a marvelous model. I think it's the biblical model of praying without ceasing. I find myself constantly in an attitude of prayer to uh, survive and yet to have the wisdom to lead. So I use the daylight. Family's a priority. They're on the calendar. And uh, and then we, we learned this early on. Ed Young Sr. taught me this. He said, in your marriage, you ought to dialogue daily. He said, you ought to date weekly, and you ought to depart quarterly. And I know some of you may think, depart quarterly? How in the world can I do that? I mean, it may have just been a night or two away. In the early days, it was in a blooming tent, and then it became a little camper that somebody let us borrow that had out in a in a little park. And then it actually got to the point where I could afford to actually go away for a motel room or stay in somebody's place. And we try to do that. My wife tells me that she is fine with the caliber and demanding ministry I have as long as she knows she's on the calendar. No, there's a time there that, yes, it's busy, but we're getting ready to lay it aside and concentrate on our marriage. And if we don't keep that strong, uh, the ministry won't be what it ought to be. One one liner that God put in my heart a couple of years ago is, if you can't make it at home, you can't make it anywhere. And the other truth is, if you do make it at home as a believer, you can make it anywhere. Uh, it's all, that's the real test there. So Christ and family and ministry and managing it. And the key word there is that the pastor is managing his time, not the people. If I don't watch it, I'll fall into a crisis mode because those who need to see me feel like it's a crisis. And so if I begin to feel the same way they do, uh, I'll run to every whelm. So normally when they need to see me, uh, oftentimes they can't. If they say, I need to see you at 6 o'clock tonight, and I'm dating my wife, I don't say to them, I'm dating my wife, I can't see you. I simply say to them, I'm sorry, I have an appointment tonight. We'll have to see each other some other time. And as far as what the appointment is, that's not really their concern. It's mine. How's that for number six, Mr. Bobby? Well, that's, that's tremendous, Pastor Johnny, and great insights. Uh, for those active in ministry now to try to balance all of the many things that are coming at us. Uh, it's, it's real obvious you've walked the road uh, and, and evident. But let, let's make the transition from that personal aspect that we moved to in uh, 6 and 7 and move on up to question number 5 uh, and just share with us some of the practical things that can be done to help build the environment for the church's growth. All right. Uh, so practical things we've done to build an environment for church growth. Um, 
there was a day that it was the stats came out and showed that the average person came to a church because of the pastor at a ratio of 10%. Today, they say they join a church because of the pastor at 90%. So it's got a lot to do. They are viewing us more according to all we can study. So with that in mind, I think about my relationship with the people. It doesn't matter what size the church is. They want to know that the pastor is real, and they want to know that the pastor cares. This is something I pray for every Sunday morning. One of my prayer times, I'm up extremely early on Sunday morning to prepare my own heart for the encounter with the people. Sunday we call every Sunday a Super Bowl Sunday because it's the big day. It's the day the people are there. It's our opportunity to pour into them. We'll see some of them during the week, but that's the day we have them all together. So I often pray that God slow me down in the halls. And it's easy to be so focused that I'm going like a bird to a gourd. But I'm walking slow through the halls and trying to speak, care for people. Here's a great one-liner. God may choose to use you to do more ministry on the way to the pulpit than you do in the pulpit. If I'm walking the hall and lady, I catch eye contact, how are you today, Mrs. Uh, Kimberly? And she says, it's an uh, act of God that I was able to meet you and speak to you today, Pastor, because I just found out that my oldest daughter has cancer. I stopped for a moment in the hall. Uh, love on her and pray for her. I will assure you, you'll be hard-pressed to do greater ministry in the pulpit. And I believe it builds an environment for the church to grow. Um, it's it's letting the people know that you genuinely care, uh, making sure above all else that you're being who you are. We're living in a generation that seems to be a day of major copying and what I mean by that is God made every one of us as originals. None of us have the same fingerprints. God has built in particular uniqueness about us that no one else on the planet has. And if we can tap into a trust relationship with Jesus Christ to be who we are, it is amazing what God will do through our realness and genuineness to build an environment that will, I believe, help accelerate the growth in our church. And we need to be growth-oriented. We need to be growth-oriented. If you've not read the book, I would highly recommend it, Tom Rainer's book on Simple Church. One of the major things he did to encourage me is to show me there's not just vertical growth, there's horizontal growth. We know vertical growth is my Sunday school's up, my worship's up, my giving's up, my baptism's up. How do you measure from side to side? Well, the truth is if I'm running 60 in worship, and 30 in Sunday school, which is the average in America. The average Southern Baptist church runs 50% of its worship attendance in Sunday school. Well, what if I could have a year where I grew from 30 in Sunday school to 45, even though I maybe didn't go up much in the number. Now I'm involving more people in an area of our church that has been proven will be a higher level of commitment in their giving and in their involvement in the ministry. Maybe I can only identify so many people serving and I want to involve more people in serving, so I become really committed in a, a connect in the church because there's a disconnect. How I can get them involved in serving? How I can get them involved in Bible study classes and giving and going? So these are just some practical things that can be done. Build an environment. We must, we must exemplify what we desire to see emulated in our people. We as leaders and preachers rely too much on our exhortation as opposed to our exemplification. For instance, um, and it's each to his own, but my entire ministry, I've been an active attender when I could be. When there was a Sunday school, other than at a worship service time, we've been in multiple services. 
But uh, now I'm in a time where I can go to an early Sunday school. I believe in Bible study, not just for my people, but for me. And so they watch us, and we need to lead by example. Your life says a great deal about what you consider to be most important. And if the church growing and being healthy and reaching people is important, it is something that's coming out of your preaching um, and your illustrations of your life ministry. And it just in, it builds an environment. When you're talking about, I brought people with me today, or tonight I'm baptizing a man that I shared the gospel with, your people... They catch it, the old statement from the 1970s, and that is evangelism is not taught, it's caught, uh, inviting people to church, so it makes a difference. It is really not much anything more exciting than to look out and see some of your, your laity and the excitement they have when they've brought somebody they know have prayed to receive Christ and are anxious to see them respond. Bobby, I'm preaching a message next week entitled Invite Others. The whole message will be around the Andrew principle of bringing Simon Peter. Ninety percent of the people that will ever step foot in our church, will ever be in our baptism pool, will ever attend our Sunday school class, 90 percent received a simple invitation. I love to share the gospel. I know faith. I know evangelism explosion. I know CWT. But the most practical thing you can do with your people is plead and encourage with them to invite their friends and neighbors. Well, you know, you said uh, right at the very beginning on this question about the 90%, you know, come to church, join the church because of the pastor, but they've got to get there first. And so uh, exactly uh, right. instilling in the people that uh, that heartthrob of reaching out and, and connecting with their neighborhood and connecting with their friends and neighbors and building those relationships with the lost are critical. Uh, and, and pastors have to lead in that area too. Facts. Without any questions. Well, let's look on at the next two uh, questions four and then number three uh, as we keep moving. Both of these are about relationships and, and both can really be be detrimental to a pastor's ministry uh, if they're not handled well. What are some tips you can give us first in nurturing staff, those who are employed, those who uh, the purse strings are attached to as such, they have some accountability and responsibility because of pay. Uh, and the relationship they have in the church. And then uh, just transition right on into number three, that, that relationship we need to have with lay leaders uh, and building that relationship for us. Okay, let me be quick to say that if you don't uh, get it right with your lay people, because normally we do start with them. Most of us have gone to churches so small we didn't have a staff. So we just had lay people, and what happens with your staff is born out of what you have done with your lay people. For instance, we're living in a generation where the pastors are saying, should I really get personal with my people? Should I get to know them? Should I go on vacation with them? Should I go to meals with them? Should they be my best friends? And I hear these philosophies out there that are basically uh, causing distance between the pastor and the people because they feel like they get too close to them. It'll be a detriment. I want to say that it'll be a great blessing, and I'll remind each of us, I wrote a major leadership lesson on this, and I'd be delighted to make it available at no cost to anyone listening in. But on this leadership lesson, it's called The Shepherd and Sheep, and I've taught it on most of our seminary campuses. But Jesus gave us the model, and the model is that we shepherd a flock, and we are to care for them, uh, we're to lead them, we're to feed them, tend to them. And so with that in mind, I, I am extremely close to my congregation. I travel a lot with my people. I vacation a lot with our people. Uh, I have lots of meals, and I can go into more detail on that. So having said that, if I am otherwise, as I travel across America, I find that the pastors have very little relationship with their staff because, again, they have the same philosophy. 
if I get to know them real well, spend a lot of time with them, they may take advantage of me. And therefore, we're missing one of the greatest ingredients in a ministry, and that is trust. Uh, Christ has entrusted us with the gospel. Is we lead out when people, we just pass on to them what he's passed on to us. We lead them by following his example. So we trust them and we trust our people. I'm very close with my staff. Uh, because we're growing as a church, you can go weeks without <clears throat> having personal time with your staff. So this morning at 8 o'clock, it happens every Tuesday morning, <clears throat> I host a prayer breakfast. Sometimes I miss. I had to be at a hospital in the emergency this morning. But one of my other staff lead it, but it puts all of my staff together for breakfast, for prayer time, and for devotion. So it lasts a minimum of an hour and a half. Every Tuesday morning without exception, it comes out of our very busy schedule because we realize how important it is to have that time together, not only with my people, my lay leaders, but with my staff. I need to love them, and it's not just words, but it's how I I share that. I need to involve them. I need to give them credit for the victories. Bottom line is we couldn't do it without them, whether it's the lay people or the staff. We need to tell them that, but here's a great statement. Not only can we not do it without them, when you love them, you don't want to do it without them. Uh, It's natural in my heart, and it needs to be natural. Jesus said, if you love me, take care of my sheep. The prerequisite for caring for people is loving Christ first. If we don't care for our people, and I really watch for that. If I ever hear a staff member that starts teeing off on a lot of our members, oh, I've got this guy, and I I detest how he did this. I I got rid of spies. The guy's a liar. If you don't watch it, they begin to talk about Christ's sheep in a way that I think is displeasing to God, and it can begin to be a snare to discolor the way you look at the body of Christ as a whole. So I want to really keep a check on making sure I really love the people, uh, all of them. And some are more difficult, but God helped me to not resent them but to love them. So I try to really involve the people uh, in relationships that nurture them. And one of the things I'm real curious of in my own ministry and life is, am I? I doing things, and if so, what are they that help to mature my people? Because I want to have a nurturing relationship. The real key in a church when it begins to grow is people will say, wow, there's so many people, we don't all know each other anymore. Matter of fact, the pastor can't know all of us. In a growing church, I have to remind them every now and then that there's no spiritual mandate for me to have a ministry where they get to know me, although I want to get to know them. The spiritual mandate is that I help them to know Jesus Christ, and we've got to keep that biblically centered. So it doesn't matter how large the church grows. We're preaching Christ, not ourselves. What a boring subject if it was us. So uh, I, I have meals. When your church gets larger, they may say, you can't have relationships with these people. You can't even know all of them. If they know that you want to, and you may say, well, how do they know that? I do student camps, so I'm with all of their students. I do the senior adult camp. I go on mission trips with our people. I host a vacation every year where any of our people that want to go along with my wife and I, and we, we line it all up, work with a travel agent. So we do things. We have these dinners. At 40, probably 40 Sundays out of the year, a family that calls my secretary and says, we'd like to get to know Pastor Johnny and Miss Janet better. And if they're new members have been here five years, they can go to lunch, and it's at the church's expense. And, you know, you may say, I don't have those dollars. Begin to pray for them. Hope that you have them one day. Tell the people it's your desire. It started extremely small when we were smaller. Now it's large. 
But what the people see is, I haven't gotten to know him yet, but hey, this guy makes himself available and there's only so much of him, but he's proving that he wants to know us. He really wants to know us. I answer all of my own emails. A lot of pastors in larger churches choose not to do that. I answer all my, all my own personal mail. I try to return every call that comes to my office. I miss some sometimes because they don't have a message recorder, and I finally move on and believe if they need me, they'll call me back. So that's sort of a flying across the top of the trees on both of those, uh, Bobby, and I'd be delighted to say more about anything I just said on those two. Well, and we may have some in the Q&A here in a few minutes that uh, may want to address. I, I will ask you to do this. You mentioned uh, the leadership lesson that you had that you wouldn't mind making available. If you'll email that to me, I'll be glad to forward that to all of our conferees. And uh, right. What I'm going to do, Bobby, I'm going to send you Shepherd and Sheep. I'm also going to send you a CD of it, and then okay. you have our permission to just make all the copies you'd like. That would be awesome. And plus, anyone that's listening can use that and claim it as their own. I'm, I'm not one writing the articles on plagiarism. I figure when somebody wrote a book, they intended for me to read it and be helped and use it. There so, you go. Just not claim it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So well, let's move but on you can to claim the last this. two questions. We're down to a little under 10 minutes before we want to open the phone lines up and let some of our uh, conferees uh, ask questions and dialogue. Uh, so let's look at number two. Uh, where can you find paid and volunteer staff that are going to stay? Okay. One of the things about finding them, and uh, and we all do have a staff, and so I like the way you word it there, volunteer pay, because I've got lay people. I've got some lay people to give me so many hours. If I didn't know better, I'd think they were on my staff. <clears throat> but you find them by sharing a vision, by giving them an opportunity. You, you've got to invite them in. And so two ways in particular. Number one, I may stand up on Sunday and say, you know, God's really put something in my heart and I'm going to need some help with it. And if you're out there and you have a passion to help with this, hey, I want you to uh, see me after church or call me or, or my email's on the screen or in the bulletin or whatever. And I would like to visit with you. And when you visit with them, it shows the importance of it. So maybe share a meal together, have them in your home, go in their home, whatever your schedule allows. And you let them in. You invite them in. They don't just automatically come in. Secondly, there's people coming to you every now and then with ideas. And if you think about it, they're really good ideas. And if you will find a way to salute them for that idea, whether it's just sending them a letter and telling them what it meant to them or using it and giving them credit from the pulpit, those people will wear you out by joining with you. I wrote another lesson entitled Leadership That Lasts. The key men that were here when I started 20-plus years ago are still my key men. Buddy Halsey, John Peacock, Morgan Harville. I can name these men, and they're still with me. So I really thought through that and talked with them and wrote a lesson on how in the world, what happened to keep them through all these years. Because we've gone through major, major transitions. But we've kept those guys involved. <clears throat> People will stay on your team as long as they know that you want them on your team and that their input is valuable. For instance, a lot of times I'm transitioning through something really big. I may feel I know and have a grip on what I'm going to do, but I may call these key men and say, I want you to come by my office or meet with me for breakfast or I want you to have a dinner with me. And then I share with them what I'm going to do, and I say, what do you think? Do you see any danger signs out there, anything I should know? And then they can speak into it. And if they do, say, man, that is great advice. Man, God bless you. Write them. Send them an email. Say, man, where would I be without you? Thanks for you know being my rear, rear guard <laughs> and helping me like the Lord does. And so when you do these things, it makes a real difference. As a fellow sent me a some information on sheep. When you get my material, you'll see a Will Womble quoted. This man heard me on the radio when I was preaching in Memphis one night. 
Since then, it's been about eight years ago, he is now a member at First Baptist Church Woodstock. He surrendered a full-time Christian service. He is now teaching the material that he helped give material to. He said these words to me. I've sent this material to dozens of pastors. They may have used it, but none ever acknowledged they had it. We treat our people that way, and their attitude is we don't really need them, and they won't stay with us. When you have paid staff and something's pulled off and it's and it goes well, salute them on Sunday. Salute them. Stand up and just say, I'm telling you, this church is a great church. It is because of old Bobby over here that leads our student ministry. God, look what he did. Good. Not I wish I had the wherewithal that this kid has. And it, it helps you know, build into those people a sense of belonging, a sense of worth, and they'll desire to stay with you. Pastor, where, where do... Uh, just delve into this a little bit more about the finding of those. How, what are, are, is there a criteria? Is there something that you kind of have in the back of your mind that kind of triggers, hey, this is a person uh, that could move into leadership. This is a yeah. person that could really connect. Uh, occasionally you can see you see a person. Don't just try to read them just by the cover because a lot of time we've missed it. I've heard people say, man, i got a guy giving like crazy. Every time the doors are open, I put him on this team. Three months later, he says, man, pray for me. i got this guy that's giving me a fit. And I think, that sounds like the guy that you said was your best guy. So make sure you get to know him first and uh, visit their home. Uh, check their children out. The Bible says a righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him, Proverbs 20, verse 7. Uh, see how he treats his wife. Uh, meet his wife. Catch her demeanor. But one of the things, too, by these meals and, you know, say if, say if you could get the church to buy and to fund it and just say, you know, I'd like, I'd like to meet with them. Um, Three families, five families on Wednesday night for a uh, covered dish, or uh, or the church is going to provide a little meal, and somebody's going to cook it for us. Somebody in your church may open their home to do that, host you. That all those have happened in my ministry, and I sat down. and Here's what's wrong, Bobby. We don't know our people. Sometimes we wish we had a giftedness. I, I go to lunch with a guy, and I say, "So, Tom, what are you doing?" He says, "I'm senior artist for Coca-Cola. He's 30 years old." Well, tell me about that, Bobby. Well, Pastor, uh, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you, but Connie told me to tell you. I have um, one of the copyrights on one of the leading Coca-Cola advertisements they're doing in the world right now. 30 years old, you'd have never known it, seeing him sitting down on the pew. And then I began to think, good night. Boy, every now and then I need some graphic design. He said, well, that's why I wanted to have lunch with you. I'd love to serve you, man. I mean, I'd do it as a salary. They pay me, but I'd be glad to use that gift with you. You begin to see these people that come around you, but but uh, when, a, when a staff member says to me, I can't find anybody serving my ministry, I feel that staff member tells me more about themselves than they do about my people. They tell me they've not gotten to know the people. We need to build a relationship. Find out who they are. Find out where their passion is. When you have that dinner, put name tags on it. Look across the table at Bob's wife, Carol, and say, Carol, so tell me your passion for the Lord. Well, gosh, first of all, Pastor, thanks. Nobody's ever asked me, but, man, I, my, my heart is, is, is preschool more than anything in the whole world. And, and, sir, I love children's church. Write it down and put it in the hands of the people over that ministry the next day. We've got to get to know our people. And as you get to know them, we, and by the way, we don't find the best people by just announcing, we need three workers in this department. They just immediately go from the pew into that department. You never get to know them, and they may not be the right people. Tell them you've got something going on in your heart that you want to see happen, and you'd like to meet some people that may share that passion. And through your interaction sometimes you can you can click and say man this guy and i are on the same page that's tremendous 
Uh, Pastor, we've got a little under two minutes before, before we want to open up the phone line, so let's look at this final question uh, about principles and strategies that can help lengthen a pastor's tenure. Okay, I, I really believe, uh, whether he's right or not, I've been quoting him for years, he's with the Lord now. Homer Lindsay taught me when I was 23 years old, here's what he taught me. It will take six years, he believed, minimum, to become the pastor. They'll put your name on the marquee, they'll call you pastor, but it takes time. They've seen you in crisis modes. They've seen how you treat your family. They've watched how you raise your children. They've seen if you're there available. They know if you're genuinely care. They've learned a lot about your character. And so we just see that happen. So we need tenure. I mean, God help us. I mean, God help us to stay the course. And while you're there, be building the relationships that will lengthen it because you'll get to know each other and you'll see that you have common goals in Christ. Uh, your your goal should be to want to see as many people as you can to trust Christ, but also to help them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Come up and outline in your own heart and in your ministry what you're going to be doing to help them to get where they ought to be. And then equip your people. We must give the ministry away. The ministry is ours, not mine. I want to teach it so they can embrace it, assimilate it into their own life, and take ownership. One of the reasons we have a difficult time raising dollars is because the people do not own the ministry. People will pay for what they own. They won't pay for what you own. And I think all of these are part of building a tenure. I've been here. I just started 21 years in October. And honest before God, I feel like I just got here. I feel like, I feel like I've been here seven or eight years. But I have so much left in me. Uh, to to go these extra rounds, you know, Paul always talked about fighting a good fight. He, he had a lot, but he always talked about running the race. I feel like there's a lot of laps left, a lot of rounds left in the fight, and I keep that before him. The pastor must keep growing. If you want your church to grow, your people to grow, the best way to grow is grow your people, and. Through that, the pe- the people will sense it. They'll see you moving on. I've heard many times this is this can almost be an insult if you're insecure. But somebody says, you know, you're not a pastor. You were when you came. I've seen incredible development in your life. You can either rejoice in that or say, well, who do you think you are to judge my life? But you can be grateful for it. And so I really do believe with all my heart that you must keep growing. You must equip the people. You must give the ministry back to them. You must give the ministry away. When they've got a burden, don't take that burden and assimilate their, I mean, and, and accommodate their ministry. Help them to take that ministry with their burden. Help them to succeed. And the way you succeed is by helping others to succeed. What tremendous insight, Pastor Johnny. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and make the transition. I, I know that uh, many of your comments and insights have uh, stimulated questions uh, among those who are in our conference today. So at this time, I'd like to open the phone lines up for our conference participants to ask you some questions. Um, finally, uh, do us all a favor. If you'd like to ask a question, we'd ask that you give your name before you ask your question or make your comment. Uh, if there's much of a lull, then I'll jump back in and continue our conversation. But uh, all participants, you should have self-muted your phone by pressing 4 star uh, to be able to mute your phone. You can do the same thing to unmute your phone, uh, 4 star. If you'd like to ask a question, you'll need to press 4 star again. Uh, remember to do that, and we'll uh, unmute the phones here. Now, we do have one email question that has come in from a Pastor Rob Freshour, one of our pastors in South Lyon, Michigan. So, uh, uh, Pastor Rob, are you on the line? You can go ahead and ask your question. Oh, hang on a second. Let's see. Have we unlocked? Okay. Hang on just a second. 
All right, now let's see. Pastor Rob, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? That, yeah, there we go. We had a technical problem on my end. Oh, okay. We, we've got all it. All right, Pastor Rob, uh, you ask your question for Pastor Thank Rob. you, Bobby. And thank you, Johnny, for being with us. It's an honor. Yeah, uh, it's to be with you, Rob. I have a number of questions, but I'll just start with one. What would be some practical steps or approaches that you would advise to lead a church that's been in plateau or decline to become evangelistic today? Number one is by example. Uh, you know, a lot of times pastors say, I'm not going to that church. They don't have outreach, you know, not evangelistic, to which I respond, that's why they need you, Rob. Mm-hmm. So you go in and you start it. I mean, really, you can you can begin the training. I took, like, if you're doing Wednesday night service or Sunday night or whenever, Sunday morning or Sunday school, I begin to train our people in witnessing, begin to train them in CWT or in faith. Uh, during that Wednesday night service, I use that as like the prayer meeting time, gave them the outlines. And then I, I would share my own witnessing opportunities, inviting people to church, sharing the gospel. So I would encourage you to lead by example. When people come forward with the invitation, you're able to say, uh, this is um, Rob and he and his wife prayed to receive Christ. I had the opportunity to go in their home. Or I'm standing in the baptismal pool. I visited his home this week. And I'm telling you, the people will catch on to that. And that's where Woodstock was. Woodstock had no outreach visitation. The church had split. They fired the pastor and minister music. And so we had to start at ground zero, and we did it by leading by example. I- exemplify what you desire for them to emulate. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, could I ask another? Uh, yes, follow-up question, Rob, then we'll want to open it up for others. I- I'm curious what you uh, – by the way, I've, I'm loving uh, Tom Rainer's Simple Church as well. Thank you for mentioning that book. Uh, but I want to reference another book uh, by George Barna about revolutionaries. What is your take uh, – what do you make of the statements he's making about their discontent with the church today and the rise of the house churches? What what kind of response should we offer to that? I was with George Barna. I actually wrote that book, and it was not even in print yet. But he said, i got a copy here, Johnny. And he said, you know so much about my other books, I'm encouraged, so would you like to see my newest book? And then we talked about it, and I told George Barner that I'd sent something in his life in the last couple of years, beginning with his book, Think Like Jesus mm-hmm. Thinks. And I said, I've sensed that used to you were more just a statistician. As you went out and you gathered all this information, and you just laid it out for us almost without an opinion. But I feel that this book, Revolution, is where you are, George. Is this more of who you are? And uh, I didn't get a clear answer on that, but I believe it is. Personally, I've not seen that here. In the, I'm in the southeast. I've not seen that. I pray it's not true right. that you know people are going to just forsake the church. And then I have to go back to my New Testament. We're in trouble if we do. It, is it, is this, it, this, wouldn't just, this wouldn't just be a movement. This would be a movement away from New Testament ecclesiology. Yeah. And so I concern myself with that. But I've not seen that. Now, do we have we have a generation coming along that their parents, which were in my generation, the baby boomers, did not pass Christ alone. Therefore, we've got as pagan of a young people as ever. But we're encouraged that the ones that are coming to faith in Christ, they seem to be the most committed generation we've ever known. So it's sort of the best of days and the worst of days. But I I personally uh, enjoyed that book. (laughs) <laughs> the least of any he's ever written. And uh, and I, I, I want to in my heart to defy that that will happen because Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say anything about it ending until he ends it. Amen. And that became more particular. But I, I wonder if that's not where George is. He's a little uh, discontent with the church, a right. little, little disillusioned. And then he found others that were as well. And, uh, and bought into it. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm going to mute and listen for a while, but I sure appreciate it, brother. Thank, thank you, you, Rob.
Thank you, Pastor Rob. Uh, someone else have a question for Pastor Johnny. I have a question. Yes, please speak up. Tell us your name. This is Wesley Green from Christway in Miramar. Getting it and not wearing it. May I go ahead? Yes, go ahead, please. Um, Pastor Hunt, thank you very much thank for you, that sir. seminar. Thanks. Um, you, what do you think about the church investing in uh, its leaders? say, um, in seminars and so on, very often people are willing to do the work, but the training and the equipping, uh, they don't necessarily have the money. What do you think about the church investing in these people? Of course, uh, absolutely. Uh, and the truth is, uh, Pastor Wesley, we shouldn't even ask them to be involved in leadership without making training available, but oftentimes you're right. It may not be the training we have, but it's somewhere else, whether it be a John Maxwell conference, whether it be a bonfire conference that I lead in training leaders or Timothy Barnabas. And we we do a lot of leadership training, and we have kind of fixed ourselves for a foundation where no one's ever turned away uh, as long as there's a place for them to come. But in the church, is it able to budget and realizing they have smaller budgets, but get as little of it as you can, as much of it as you can, to start making that investment in them. But yes, we should make an investment. We should make an investment in books. We maybe say to our people, I read a book that God really used in my life, and two or three things. I'll read a book and do a book of the month at our church, have 144 out there for them to buy at a discounted rate from the bookstore, but put five of them in the library to make sure nobody's missed in it. But we should invest in training our people. Absolutely. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, we'll remind everyone, if you're not asking a question, please mute your phone for star. Do we have someone else who would like to uh, ask Pastor Johnny a question? Need to just speak up. This is Roger Bates, First Baptist Church, Sierra Vista. Can you hear me? Yes, Roger. Yes, speak Roger. up. We, we've got you. Uh, you're along with Pastor Johnny. Okay. Uh, once again, thank you for this uh, telephone conference. Uh, yes, we're in a, a conference room with several pastors on a speakerphone, and one question that was raised is, what role uh, should wives be expected or spouses be expected of professional staff? Uh, what role in ministry should uh, be expected of wives? Yeah. You know, that is a great question because it's really I, – I do a lot of traveling across America, and the question is being asked a lot, in the, and it's being asked in the right context. When we interview a staff, we certainly ought to always interview them as pastor and wife together just to catch their heart. And it's not so much even as ourselves when we meet with a pulpit committee that we're looking for them to come across and tell what our wife's uh, duties are. But the responsibility is that we're hoping that we're getting a family where they both love God worship God, that they both love others, which is getting to know our people. They both have a desire to serve the Lord. And so those are kind of the three criteria. But what we've had to run into in recent days is you maybe if you did you just got so excited about a couple and you asked most of the questions of the man and you got there and the wife was not even coming to church regular, that will hurt that man's ministry. And especially if he were the pastor, he'd never survive if she didn't support him. And so we, we look for a supportive role. We believe her number one ministry is to her husband and family. But still in the context of that, we really do anticipate them 
being faithful at church. And we found that it always helps in a great way if they support their husband's ministry. If I've got a, I can tell you for a fact since I have middle school and high school, just went through this. My middle school was blooming, but every time you saw my middle schoolers, you saw the middle school pastor and the middle school pastor's wife. She great, greatly supported him. On the other hand, senior high, we had a wife kind of falling away. It greatly hurt our ministry. And so um, we really <coughs> are, are, are more keenly aware now of whether we have the support of the spouse. So we let them know up front that it's going to create a problem if you're not going to be here with your husband. We expect you to both be faithful. And if she doesn't want to be at church, there's some issues anyway that we need to be aware of. All right, a follow-up question there? All right. Good with me, Roger. (laughs) Thank you. All right, someone else have a question for Pastor Johnny. Right, Pastor Johnny, we'll take a pause. Let me ask you to follow up uh, on uh, another area that you just uh, touched on earlier, and then we'll uh, see if we have a few more minutes for some other questions if some would like to interject. Um, Next month, our emphasis, we've used each of our audio conferences uh, to kind of focus on different health issues, and uh, this time focusing on uh, pastors and staff and some of the things we do. Next month, John Hayes uh, from Jersey Baptist Church in uh, outside of Columbus, Ohio, is going to be with us, who's grown a tremendous church there, uh, Evangelistic Passion. Uh, you are one that just has tremendous passion for people uh, and just being around you and watching you and observing your ministry. Uh, give us some insights uh, about the the importance of that. We touched on that earlier, uh, but the importance uh, of the evangelism uh, and the evangelistic uh, drive of a pastor in fulfilling the Great Commission. Well, there is, there has to be a bottom line, it seems like, in everything we do. And certainly the bottom line, I think, in ministry is change life. And seeing people saved, and I have to stay focused on that. It's been said that it's amazing how churches can kind of stay in a straight line on any and everything with the exception of evangelism. If you don't keep your hands on the helm of the evangelism, it will always veer off. So you've got to be very focused, very intentional of sharing the gospel. I'm constantly telling stories in my messages of either sharing the gospel of someone I had the privilege to lead to Christ. I was preaching the other day, and I said, uh, I don't want to embarrass this young lady, but this young gal came to Christ this morning. We just baptized her. Here she's sitting in front of me tonight. Ursula, I thank God for you. Ursula said this morning that it was as though the Spirit of God knocked the breath out of her through the Word of God, and she saw herself as Christ Caesar, and she gave her life to Jesus. She's already telling me the difference it's made this afternoon. And we just keep it before the people that nothing's more important, nothing's more important. Uh, than people coming to know Christ, and it, but it, and it should be just born out of your natural life. When I when I'm out eating now, and uh, somebody's waiting on me, they bring the food. I just stop for a minute and simply say to them, uh, "Excuse me, I'm getting ready to ask the blessing over this food. Is there anything I can pray for you about?" And it's just people that are with me just see that it's on the forefront. When I get ready to leave, I leave a tip, and with it, I leave a thank you card that we've had designed that we saw someone else had done. It's not original to us. But it talks about, thank you for your wonderful service. I have left you a tip, but I want to give you another tip. That's the greatest tip I've found in life, and that is a relationship with Christ. And it gives the gospel. So people are seeing we're doing it. We have track racks all through the church. They're constantly needing to be replenished because we're telling the people what we're doing. And uh, it's just something you've got to keep 
your hands on the helm. You just got to be careful you don't veer off from that. Nothing's more important than bringing people to faith in Christ. The last word before Jesus ascended to heaven, make disciples. And it is definitely in the context of taking the gospel to the world beginning in your own Jerusalem. I kind of get the impression, Pastor Johnny, from the way you couched your response, uh, that you have observed that oftentimes pastors will find themselves consumed with too many other things and will allow uh, the, the emphasis on evangelism and their hands-on involvement to, to start to wane. It happens all the time, and uh, and, it, and we need to. And if and if we allow it to happen, I, I want to be vulnerable and stand before our people. And as I'm preaching a message that relates to that, to just say, "Boy, pray for me." I'll tell you, I've allowed myself to get so busy that I've gotten away from the main thing. And I know if it can happen in my life, wow, I bet it can happen in yours as too. But I mean, I told my wife, I'm recommitting my life and being a more fervent witness for Jesus Christ. And you make statements like that, and boy, others begin to respond and say, boy, me too, Pastor. But they've got to see our own clay feet as well. We, we've got to give them opportunity to um, to be engaged with transparency that if it's true in our life and it's true with something we're struggling with, most likely you're going to find the same sentiment among your people. That's great. Let's open the line one more time, Pastor Johnny, see if we do have some other questions in these last few minutes of our conference. Uh, if you would like to ask a question, unmute your phone, press 4 star, and then give us your name to ask your question. All right, we have another question. Bobby? It's yes, Bert. there we have. Yes, give us your name. Bert Spann. Um... Is there any way we could get a copy of those cards that he sends out uh, or gives to the the waitress or the wait staff at restaurants? I'm reaching in my pocket for it now to lay it on my desk to send it to you. <laughs> Great. I'll, send, I'll send you some of those, uh, Bobby. Yes. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Excellent. And there are several sources uh, that produce similar things like that, but that would be great to have. All right, another question or a comment? Yeah, Bobby, this is Ken Wilson. Yes, Ken. Hey, Dr. Johnny. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Good. Could you talk a little bit about Timothy Barnabas? All right. Uh, Bobby, see, I paid Kenny to ask that question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I was kind of leaning into that, but, but Ken uh, jumped in on us. Well, let me say we've changed it up this year because of the overwhelming response. I've been doing it 15 years. I've been turning people away in every one I do, and, that, and I rent the whole resorts. This year, September the 12th, and you can go to timothybarnabas.org and find out more about this. But on September the 12th, I've rented a large, very, very fine property, a Marriott property in Atlanta, and that's a Wednesday, and I'll be doing the 12th, 13th, and 14th, where it's a time of instruction and a time of encouragement. The men that uh, are listening today, Bobby and Request, will be receiving the shepherd and sheep. I designed that lesson for Timothy Barnabas. So to give them some idea of what I teach. And then I wrote a lesson on insecure leader, secure leader, and you know just how we transition. Uh, then I will turn around on September the 19th, the very next week, on a Wednesday in 19, 20, and 21, I'll do this same type school in Orlando, Florida, across from the convention center at one of the finest properties there. They're all inclusive with meals. I bring in great music. We bring in special nationally known uh, women speakers to minister to the wives. We have a counseling ministry that's available to anyone that is hurting. 
we give away more gifts than it costs. It's about three hundred dollars for a pastor and four ninety five for a couple. Um, and that's room, meals, gifts, all sorts of things. But if someone's on a tight budget and they need they need financial aid or scholarship, we do our best to accommodate them. So it's encouragement and instruction in ministry. But it's really like a a, a retreat and time of refreshment from the Lord. Excellent. Thank you, Ken, for that question. We have time for about uh, one more 60-second question, if someone has one there. Ken or Tim Wilson. Hello, Bobby. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, we can hear you clear now. Give hey, us your name. This is Rob Freshour again. Uh, I had a question, then I went to the website he just mentioned. I had another question. But uh, real quick, uh, I wonder if Johnny could recommend uh, to us some of the books he has recommended as Book of the Month uh, for his church. And then on the website, I, I don't see the dates that he mentioned, uh, but I just got there. Okay. Uh, I was hoping they'd put them on there. Does it, it, it still say something about Bonfire on it there, Rob? It Bonfire, yeah. but it okay, looks like the, the event there at Woodstock. Right, okay. Yeah. September 12th and September 19th. All right, Pastor Johnny, you still there? Yeah. You got me? Yep, yep. Yeah, there you are. Okay. okay. All right, but uh, the books, I, I, you know, sometimes I do more of something on surface that I think would inspire them, other times dealing with a subject, and sometimes I tell them it's going to be plowing a little deeper. For instance, I did Lee Strobel's book on Case for Christ. Mm-hmm. So they could, you know, understand what the Bible says about hell from the greatest theologians uh, that are out there. Uh, I may, I did one on John Maxwell's on Today Matters. It's a great book. We're always talking about, you know, tomorrow, but it's uh, what counts then. We're in the new year, and I'm in my front office, and in the back office, I keep the books that I'm reading, and the ones uh, that I, you know, if I like it enough, I'll recommend it to them. And I don't have them right here. Sometimes I'll read one to be more of a devotional, like Dave Jeremiah. Oh, let's see. I think I've got it in my briefcase so I can give you the right title instead of trying to guess. Let me see here. It is right here. And I'll tell you, too, if uh, I'll give you my email address and any of these questions you forward me, I'll do a better job you know, finding the names of those books instead of trying to do it from memory. The 54-year-old man, I think. Turning Point, David Jeremiah. Uh, devotion, uh, and, and devotions for every day of the year. Uh, I put, I just tell people I read that and God just used it in my life. Certainly, we did Rick Warren's book on the purpose-driven life, that was big and taught it. We we were big on that, but I would have to research those to give you the ones we did uh, last year. That's excellent, Pastor Johnny. And the, uh, I can connect and get some of that information out to our conferees, too, right. uh, from those recommendations from you. That's excellent. Pastor Johnny, we just want to thank you today for giving up your time and sharing some of your experiences and expertise with us today. Thank you for being our guest. Uh, privileged to be with you. And, um, again, anything you're asked there, Bobby, if you will contact me, I'd be glad to send it. Anything I send will be at uh, no charge to the guys. That is super. Well, look, we surely haven't answered all of our questions, I know, and there's a more there. But my hope is that today as ministers, that our lives and ministries will make a greater impact for the kingdom of God because of the encouragement that we've received from you and your ministry today. Well, thank you. For our audio conference ministry, I'm Bobby Gilstrap. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope that you will join us again next time. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Listen to future episodes by visiting audioconferenceforpastors.com or by subscribing on iTunes. An archive of past episodes is also available. Join us next time as we continue to develop leaders to their God-given capacity on the Audio Conference for Pastors.